Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and we are back yet again for episode 76. That's right. And we are back with our normal, regularly scheduled programming, as we will have our quick hits, our highlight reels, and we will also talk about NXT and AEW from this past week. Now, a lot has been going on in wrestling, but not a lot of huge news stories. So I picked out just a few in the quick hits to give you guys a rundown and tell you exactly what's been going on. But like I said, a lot has been going on, and it's mostly been happening over on Raw, SmackDown, AEW, and NXT. So that's where you're going to get a brunt of your news from is when we're doing the show rundown and the highlight reel. Now, in case I didn't mention it before, I am your host, Archie Mitchell. I can't remember if I said it in the beginning or not. And what I want you to do right now is go ahead and pop open your favorite frosty beverage, strap in, settle in, and get ready for this ride as I spew my venom and my hate for the world of professional wrestling and my love as we go ahead and get into some quick hits. And this week, starting it off, coming out of Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and the Crown Jewel pay-per-view, Logan Paul injured at Crown Jewel, tearing his meniscus, his MCL, and his ACL, looking to be out a great deal of time. Now, I don't want you guys to think that I'm this big hater. I didn't say I hated Logan Paul as a wrestler. The three matches that he's now had have been outstanding, and he has gone above and beyond to learn his craft. He is trained with some of the best, such as Rey Mysterio, AJ Styles, Shawn Michaels, and a list of others. And he did a fantastic job at Crown Jewel. My problem was is that a pseudo-celebrity got the main event, whether it was a throwaway pay-per-view or not, and fought Roman Reigns for the World Heavyweight title. Call me bitter because some of my favorites were left off the card and didn't get a world title shot. That's fine. But... Logan Paul busted his ass out crown jewel and in doing so injured himself, as I said, his meniscus, MCL, and ACL, and he even finished the match after doing it as well. So hats off to Logan Paul. I honestly can't wait to see if the WWE brings him back once he is completely healed and what he will do next in the WWE. Number two, GCW rejects WWE's offer for partnership. Live shows and back catalog of GCW will now be available on Fight Plus On Demand. I can't believe this. And what I've been reading is that the owner of GCW, who is actually a personal friend of one Stephanie McMahon, feels that he did not like the offer that they made to him. And that even though he knows Stephanie McMahon is going to be furious about this, he just didn't want to take it. Now, I don't think it was the compensation. Financially, I'm sure that WWE threw more money at GCW than they have possibly seen in their entire existence. But I think, personally, it was the fear of having to water down their product once they got on Peacock. Because I guarantee you, once Peacock saw what GCW was going to be like, it was going to be a lot of like ECW on TNN. And I'm sure they didn't want to have to be castrated and be told, oh, no more bleeding. No more light tubes, you know, whether it be on the WWE Network around the world or on Peacock here in the States. But I just can't believe that after hearing that it was almost a done deal, and I was kind of excited for it, 
that they went ahead and rejected the offer. I'm more than sure that something could have been done in order to uh, edit and fix and make things okay. But whatever the case, GCW will now be available on Fight Plus On Demand TV. Um, I guess I won't be seeing it <laughs> because I will not pay the $14.99 for Fight TV in any way, shape, or form. I only use it when I want to watch an AEW pay-per-view, and that's it. So I'd rather just pay the AEW pay-per-view price and move on from there. And number three, Nick Aldis gives his notice to the NWA. He is leaving once his contract expires in January, and I believe his contract expires January 1st. <clears throat> and here's a quick uh, little excerpt, an update to this story. Billy Corgan has again suspended Nick Aldis and said that he will sit out the remainder of his contract and will not be involved in anything NW-related. Uh, they will let his contract completely expire on Jane 1 and then let him move on from there. I honestly feel this is stupid and that they should use Aldis to his full potential to put over as many guys as he can or at least help improve the product slightly. But Billy Corgan has never really been said to be that great of a businessman. I mean, we've seen how the NWA has been run in the last few months. And that is Nick Aldis's main problem. He feels that the product has become stale and that NWA is just relying on guys like the bigger boys like Tyrus and uh, – you know, uh, Trevor Murdoch and some no-name guys that are popping up every now and then, bringing in guys like EC3, it's just pissed Aldis off. So I personally, if Nick does leave the NWA and this is not a work, which I think this is definitely a shoot because both happenings, you know, giving your notice and being suspended makes no sense to be a shoot, uh, a work. It makes more sense to be a shoot. I would love to see Nick Aldis in the WWE. I think that with the new Triple H regime, Nick Aldis will be made into a great main eventer in the WWE. If Vince was still there, I'd say, no, Nick, stay, you know, stay where you are, or go to Impact or do something else, go to Japan. But in any case, Nick Aldis may be done with the NWA. I don't think I want to see him in AEW because we all know that Tony Khan likes to play with his new shiny toys and then put them away in his toy chest and never let them come out again. And I think that Nick would go there to rot. So, but it's just weird to me that the, pinnacle and showcase of your company, Nick Aldis, uh, for the NWA is is being shit on. And we talked about this a couple of months ago. It, it just makes no sense the way Billy Corgan is even running the NWA lately. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get into my favorite segment. And let's go ahead and get into the highlight reel. And just a reminder, go ahead and take a look at a slice in time and the year that was with both Nate Maxson and Aaron Maxson right here on WrestleNet Radio. They are two incredible shows. They are Both of those men are two great friends of mine. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to be on them when I have time. And they it's just both shows looking back at the year of 1997 in different ways. How could you, how could you be, go wrong with listening to that? You know what I mean? And as we come to the highlight reel over on Monday Night Raw, number one, Matt Riddle in the New Day taking on the Usos and Solo Sequoia. I mean, that was as good of a six-man tag as you can possibly get. Matt Riddle has really become a great wrestler inside the ring. The New Day are a formidable tag team and have been multiple-time tag team champions. And then you've got the Usos, the now longest-reigning WWE tag team champions, and their brother, Solo Sequoia, who has come into his own rather quickly in the WWE. All six men hit on all cylinders. It was a great tag, a six-man tag. 
and I, I truly enjoyed it. Uh, number two, Mia Yim returns, and that wasn't even the biggest part of her return. Uh, it's the fact that she is not now a part of the OC, the club, with AJ Styles and the Good Brothers. So Judgment Day finally has a opponent for Rhea Ripley when they go against the OC, and it's Mia Yim. Now, I would have liked it to have been Raquel Gonzalez, but apparently she just didn't mesh well with them. And they decided to put the, uh, you know, returning me again with her, uh, with them to go up against uh, Rhea. Whatever the case may be, I like it now being a four-on-four, four, and I wouldn't mind if we got this match <coughs> at Survivor Series. <coughs> this way, both women could interact with the men a little bit. You know, you had Rhea slam Doc Gallows and throw, you know, Carl Anderson around, so it's not a bad elimination match at all. Uh, number three, uh, Johnny Gargano taking on The Miz. That was a classic between both men. And, of course, Gargano got the win, as he should, because he's still in the middle of his push. Nikki Cross winning and then disposing of the 24-7 title. I don't know if that was truly meant or if that belt flipped off her shoulder or what. I know if it was meant to happen, it was, should have been in the garbage, but it hit the floor, obviously. Uh -huh. But in any indication, Nikki Cross beating Dana Brooke, who had not been seen on TV for well over a month, for the 24-7 title, and then disposing of the belt, is that the ending of the title? I think so. Many people have pointed out that R-Truth got injured, and then the belt went away. So, I mean, that belt was kind of designed for R-Truth because man's held it over 100 times. But I just, I wonder if they're going to now implement a new title or maybe this is them pulling back a little bit and getting rid of the 24-7 title because of the oversaturation of belts. And number five, and I know this might not be popular because I've read all of social media that's been going on lately, Austin Theory's failed cash-in of the Money in the Bank briefcase on, of all people, United States champion Seth Rollins during an open challenge. If you haven't seen it yet, or even if you have, Seth Rollins had an open challenge for the night, and it was answered by Bobby Lashley, but the match never got started. Lashley just destroyed Rollins throughout the entire arena. And then here comes Austin Theory to cash in. He does, which makes him the first person to ever cash in on a mid-card title, not counting Charlotte going after the NXT women's title because it's obviously a major title on that brand. And he cashed in on Rollins. They had a pretty decent six or seven minute match. And then Lashley destroyed Theory while the referee's back was turned. And Seth Rollins beat Austin Theory. So Theory is without the briefcase. And here's what I'm thinking. I think that Triple H realized that they painted themselves into the corner with the Money in the Bank briefcase because they're not looking to take the belt off of Roman anytime soon. And rather than have Roman Reigns squash Austin Theory, and lose the briefcase. They had him lose to uh, Seth Rollins with Bobby Lashley, which it doesn't hurt him to lose to Seth Rollins if Bobby Lashley interfered. And now he can get into the title picture with Rollins and Lashley and even Mustafa Ali. It makes sense here, folks. It's not rocket science, and it's definitely not a bad thing for this guy to lose the briefcase because it was holding him back if he couldn't cash in on Roman Reigns. Moving over to SmackDown now. And our opening match was the Usos and the New Day for the World Heavyweight Title, World Tag Team Titles, excuse me. The Usos get the win. They continue their record-breaking streak as champions. Great 25-minute tag match. If you haven't seen it yet, go ahead and check it out. Number two, Escobar taking on Nakamura in the beginning of the World Cup tournament. 
those two just had a great match. I wish they would have got a little more time, but for the 11 minutes that they were out there and everything that they did, fantastic. And Escobar got the win. Moving on, would I have liked Nakamura to get the win because he could have should have used a little push and uh, get in the right direction? Yes, but not at the cost of Escobar. Number three, the backstage meeting between Bray Wyatt and L.A. Knight. Uh, I like that these two men can both talk. They can both cut a promo. They both have tremendous characters. And if this is going to be possibly Bray Wyatt's first opponent, why not a cocky, brash guy backstage who doesn't, you know, care about what his actions do? You know what I mean? It, it makes sense. Number four, Shotzi Blackheart becoming the number one contender by winning a uh, six-women battle royal, but by pin. A little weird with the rules there, but I think Shotzi becoming number one contender is definitely something that should have happened a long time ago. <clears throat> she was tremendous in NXT. She was tremendous on the uh, indie scene. I see no reason why she shouldn't at least get a shot at the title. I don't think she's going to win, but that doesn't mean that she should not be getting a shot at the belt because Ronda is on a tear lately, and with Shayna Baszler in her corner, it just it makes sense. Number five, Sarah Logan's return with the Viking Raiders and having them wipe out all of the hit row. Um, it was should have been Zelina Vega versus uh, B-Fab, but Sarah Logan makes her return in an ominous look, uh, and the Viking Raiders now have a backup. So I'm wondering what this means for them, uh, what it means for hit row. Are they dumb now with Legato Del Fantasma? Who knows? And finally, number six, the Bloodlines brawl with the Brawling Brutes and Drew McIntyre to end SmackDown. Could this possibly have War Games implications? I'm, I'm wondering here, folks, in just one second. McIntyre joining the Brawling Brutes is great because uh, Sheamus, Butch, and Ridge Holland, great six-man tag team, add McIntyre. But does that mean Sami Zayn is being left out of War Games? Or could somebody else possibly be added to the Sheamus team? If there is somebody added to the Sheamus team, in my opinion, it should be Tyler Bate. Because he's got experience and uh, history with Pete Dunne. It would only make sense. Uh, they were in uh, you know, a, a six-man tag team together in NXT UK, uh, along with Trent Seven. It only makes sense to add him, and then you put Sammy in. If not, then we're going with a four-on-four war games match at survivor series which triple h said five on each side then i'm just wondering why sammy might get left out unless maybe he's injured but the brawl was incredible seeing mcintyre come to their aid which was great smackdown and raw definitely hit on all cylinders this week with a lot of different highlights there folks so with that being said as usual let's waste no more time let's go ahead and get into our nxt show review And going into NXT, this week's show opens up with the schism coming to the ring, and we are ready for our opening match. I love when that happens. It's Joe Gacy taking on Cameron Grimes. This was a very good back-and-forth match with both Grimes and Gacy throwing absolutely everything they had at one another. Grimes with some innovative offense early on, but Gacy with his mind games kept it close. Cameron went to the top, but Ava Rain got involved and allowed Gacy to hit his finisher and get the win in 13 minutes. Great opening and adding to this storyline here, folks. Axiom and Nathan Frazier were talking backstage about their history together, and J.D. McDowell interrupts. J.D. tells Frazier that his injuries don't look good and pokes fun. 
Axiom challenges McDow to a match later on. And all I have to say is yes, please. Carmelo and Trick are in the barbershop and wondering what the next move is. Hayes says no one has pinned him yet, but respects Wesley for winning the ladder match. But right now, he's just a paper champion till Carmelo and Lee get in the ring for the title. Hayes and Lee for the North American title has a ton of potential, and apparently it's going to be happening in just a couple of weeks. The lights go out in the arena, and Scripps gives us another cryptic message about his takeover of NXT. As much as I'm liking where this is going, is it overkill with all the dark, ominous, scary characters we have going on lately? Saul Roket then takes on Electra Lopez, and as good as Surfer Girl looked here, this was a glorified squash match to reintroduce Electra Lopez as she hit her finisher and got the win in three minutes. Post-match, Indy Hartwell attacked Lopez, and apparently this is the direction they're going for both women. Andre Chase, Thea Heel, and uh, Duke Hudson are getting pumped up before their match, and I guess this is Duke's new storyline. Still on the fence about it, though. Mandy Rose and JC Jane are having a video call and discussing Gigi's injuries and Alba Fire's attack last week. JC appears to have got pulled over, but it turns out to be Alba, and I'm laughing hysterical at this, folks. This was perfect with Alba saying, now it's just her and Mandy left. I mean, you're expecting a cop to walk up to the window. All of a sudden, JC gets pulled out of the car, and then there's Alba Fire right in the video call. Charlie Dempsey then took on Andre Chase. The son of William Regal tied up Andre Chase immediately and took his opponent to the ground. Three minutes later, he locked in a submission and got the win when Duke Hudson threw the towel in. Was hoping this would get some more time, but again, I'm not sure where all of this is leading. Mackenzie questions what's going on with Indy Hartwell and Electra Lopez, and Indy doesn't say much while saying a lot here. I really couldn't follow what she was going to, except that she's tired of being put down in NXT. Kiana James then offers to buy Fallon Henry's bar in a segment that left me shaking my head. I guess the end, the era of wrestlers with daytime jobs is back. Oh, and Fallon said no to selling. So I guess we'll be seeing them fight for the ownership of this bar somewhere down the line in NXT. Hank Walker takes on Stacks. Pretty decent match here. Tons of quick moves and some power from Walker. It looked like Hank had the match won, but Stacks made a comeback and got the win in four minutes. Grayson Waller effect is on my TV now, and uh, or should I say, when you order Ms. TV on uh, Wish is next, and his guests are Von Wagner and Braun Breaker. Waller lets Wagner know that the NXT universe doesn't think he deserves a title shot, but Von lets him know that he doesn't care because he's only here to be NXT champion. Braun goes to speak, and Robert Stone interrupts him. Braun says he knows the fans are tired of him, but he's been the newcomer, and now he's the champion. He and Wagner go face-to-face, and Braun takes out Stone to end the segment. Next week, this should be good. It's Wagner versus Breaker. It'll be Braun's first big, monstrous opponent. I like where it's headed. I like the storyline. I think they're doing great things with Braun Breaker. I don't know why he felt like the fans are tired of him. I think fans are just getting fickle, and they want something new, and I think this is that something new. Mackenzie talks to new North American champion Wes Lee, and Lee agrees with Carmelo. He shouldn't have become champion, but in two weeks, he plans on beating Hayes and making his legacy in NXT. So that match will happen in two weeks on NXT TV. We get a vignette to introduce the new feud between Cora Jade and Wendy Chu. Personally, I think this is not a good idea. 
to put Cora against Wendy Chu because she is a glorified comedy act and it's just going to do nothing for her current character in NXT. A pilot crew is, is in Nigeria and he sends a message to Braun Breaker. The next number one contender is here and he wants his shot when Braun is ready. And we go to the ring for our next matchup with J.D. McDowell taking on Axiom. I enjoyed this one from beginning to end. What a great mix of styles. Axiom went to the air and used his high-flying ability, but McDowell fought back with his muscle manipulation and submission skills. J.D. finally slowed his opponent down, never looked back as he kept Axiom on the mat for the rest of the match. McDowell locked in a submission and got the win in 14 minutes. Great matchup and absolutely brutal seeing the knee of Axiom be, being bent all the way back. Post-match, J.D. cuts a promo and begged someone to challenge him. He says he's looking directly at Apollo Crews, so those two could be headed for a one-on-one -on -one encounter down the line. Shawn Michaels makes a, will make an announcement regarding NXT deadline next week. It apparently has to do what we can expect at the premium live event. I'm, I, I'm waiting for this because... If it's what I think it is, that this was the deadline that they were giving all NXT talent, we may be seeing some sort of match that sees some people let go. Who knows? I'm all for it. Brutus Creed then takes on Damon Kemp, and Brutus immediately attacks Kemp on the entrance ramp, and both men just start brawling. They continued to trade shots, and Brutus just laid Damon out. Creed finally snapped and hit Nate. Damon Kemp with a chair to cause a DQ in four minutes. Post-match, Brutus Creed continued his assault on Kemp with the chair. Diamond Mind then celebrated as Sangha and Veer Mahan watched on from the stage. Diamond Mind, Diamond Mind versus Mahan and Sangha. Damn, that could be a brutal matchup. Another vignette for Dominic Dijakovic is shown, and he talks about getting another shot. He says no one will get past, uh, get a pass, and everyone will be brought to justice this time around. I like it. Roxanne Perez tries to talk to Indy Hartwell, and Indy basically blows her off and says she's way too soft. Duh, she's she's the goody-good. What, what do you expect, Indy? <clears throat> now we go to the ring for our main event, and it is Nikita Lyons and Zoe Starks taking on Carter and Chance for the NXT Women's Tag Team titles. Much different than their first match between these two teams because Starks and Lyons kept having problems. Chance and Carter, on the other hand, looked great in this outing and worked perfectly as a team. Another mess up, and Lions got taken out. This left Zoe alone with the champs. Chance and Carter hit their finisher and got the win in 11 minutes. Good match, just a little weird because of the challenger's chemistry. Post-match, Starks turned on Lions, and I guess I see why it was weird. <laughs> she beats her former partner down and has the champs and NXT fans looking on in shock. I personally am not that shocked. They were partners for all of two months. This is not Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, folks. This is two women who they had nothing better to do with but put together and finally gave a title shot to. I'm giving NXT a four out of five this week, and I'm glad the show keeps rolling on and with good episodes. I was worried that they were going to start to rely on the May roster too much and get thrown off course, but that was not the case. Good episode. Keep it up. And with that being said, Let's waste, again, no time and go right ahead and get into our AEW show review. And a reminder to check out We Can't Wrestle podcast, the show that started it all here on WrestleNet Radio with Nate Maxson, Aaron Maxson, Mark Brew, and myself when I am available. 
right here on WrestleNet Radio. And AEW kicks off with a welcome from Excalibur and Tony Schiavone, and they run down tonight's show. Definitely looks like a stacked card. We go to the ring for an eight-man tag. It is the Gun Club and Swerve in Our Glory taking on FTR and Eclaimed. Billy Gunn hits the ring and took out Swerve before the match even started. One thing's got settled. Uh, the match kicked off and everyone involved went to work. Swerve and Lee worked well together and the Gun Club showed how much they've improved. The Eclaimed and FTR used some tag team offense and took control. All eight got involved. Caster hit a big elbow from the top and FTR hit their finisher on Colton Gunn to get the win in 13 minutes. Very good opener here. MGF is shown cutting a promo on a podcast this past week. Max says he's getting back to being 100% for his matchup with Moxley at Full Gear. He says that the match at Full Gear is his biggest match in his career and the biggest match in the business uh, because he he rolls off a ton of generational talents, such as the Rock, Stone Cold, Ric Flair, and he says he's the next in line. He respects Mox, but he was born to be a world heavyweight champion, and John Moxley wasn't. Everyone's talking about MJF, and he's ready to take the spotlight that's been taken from him since he got to AEW. Another great promo for MJF, and I have to say this is the best thing going on in AEW right now. A vignette for Stokely Hathaway is then played, and he's talking about what happened between him and MJF. Uh, he says that whether Max wants him there or not, he will be at full gear. Wondering what that means. Is he going to interfere in the match? Is he going to help Max? Is this all a big ruse? Who knows? Ethan Page then takes on Eddie Kingston in a world title number one contenders tournament matchup. I know they call it the Eliminator Tournament, but this was all an all-out fight between both men as they jockeyed for position and neither being able to get it. Page fought, but Kingston fought harder and took it to all ego. It looked like Kingston was about to end the match, but Page ducked the spinning back fist and took control. Ethan Page hit a huge outsider edge from the top rope and got the win in, excuse me, nine minutes in one hell of a battle. Renee is with Rush in the Dark Order. Rush's manager tells Ten that they have been planning uh, that they will be winning the number one contenders tournament and the world title, and then Rush wants Ten to be his first challenger. They get into a shoving match, and I have to say this whole storyline has been stupid. It's been going on for over two months and has no meaning. Okay, Rush and uh, Andrade wanted 10 services. 10 said no. They had a couple matches. A couple of matches were even advertised and then took it off the show completely, and it's making no sense. End this now. Wardlow then took on Arya Davari. We saw a headbutt, a clothesline, and three power bombs for Wardlow to get the win in two minutes, and it would have been shorter had Wardlow not stalled. Post-match, Wardlow calls out powerhouse Hobbs. Wardlow cuts a bad promo and pisses Samoa Joe off until Joe snaps and turns on Wardlow. Taz makes it clear that Joe and Hobbs are not a team and that this was just Joe going crazy because of the words of Wardlow. I'm left dumbfounded. I truly am. Renee is with Jade Cargill and the baddies. Uh, she lets Jade know that at full gear she will face Nyla Rose and she can get back her... Uh, TBS championship from Nyla if she beats her for it because Nyla stole it a couple of weeks ago. Jade says she's tired of the BS with Nyla holding her title and Friday and Rampage she's coming to take care of her. Tony is in the ring and ready for his interview with Britt Baker and Soraya. Tony lets Soraya go first and she says she knows everyone's worried but she is now 100% cleared and AEW is her house. 
Britt says she's the one who built this division and finds it disrespectful for Soraya to say that this is her house. Baker says Soraya is obsessed with her and that they uh, don't take walk-ins, so make an appointment, bitch. Yes, the word bitch was thrown around a lot lately. Her exact reasoning was she's a dentist. They don't take walk-ins. Make an appointment, bitch. I get it, but whatever. It fell a little flat. Soraya says Britt got her position handed to her. But meanwhile, she's done everything she's had to do because she loves this business. She also talks about her past humiliations and downfalls. This will be Soraya's comeback story and Britt Baker's biggest match when they go one-on-one -on -one at full gear. Baker tried to attack, but Soraya left her laying to end the segment. This was a great segment, full of emotion, and I just hope that Paige, a.k.a. Soraya, is truly healthy and does not get hurt. Because let's face it, Wrestlers in AEW do not take care of each other that much. They allow each other to get injured very easily. I, I would just hate to see her get paralyzed because of a missed opportunity in a matchup that means nothing, in my opinion. And why do I say that? See, I know I'm going to catch some heat for that. Why are you saying that? It's her against Britt Baker. <coughs> Britt Baker is not a world heavyweight champion. This is not for a title. This is just so Paige can get back in the ring. And I get it. The feud's been going on since Paige came to AEW. But there is way too much risk and not enough reward. Just so I lay it on the line for you guys. Lexi interviews Sanjay Dutt, Lethal, and the Factory. Dutt pays off the Factory, thanking them for allowing one of their members to help him last week. Orange Cassidy and the Best Friends interrupt. Cassidy and Moriarty is made for Rampage for the All-Atlantic Championship. And Trent is taking on Jay Lethal, and it's made for right now. Lethal attacked. Trent Beretta on the stage and led him to the ring. The bell sounded and both guys tried to get the upper hand, but Lethal did damage to Trent's knee and they played it out throughout the entire match. Lethal hit his finisher and got the win in eight minutes in an actually very good matchup. Post-match though, Tony tries to interview Dutt and Lethal, but Dutt grabs the mic and introduces Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett runs down their accomplishments and throws shade at the WWE. Why, I don't know. Jeff, you were treated greatly in the WWE and the only reason you were fired because you didn't want to be there anymore. Uh, the fans were dead for this entire segment, and Jarrett looked like he was grasping at straws to make himself look good. I mean, it's ridiculous. I get that they hired him as a backstage person to handle, you know, house shows and international shit. Why does he need to be an on-air talent, too, so we can get Sting versus Jeff Jarrett again? It, it's ridiculous. Renee talks to Jungle Boy, and he talks about not being done with Luchasaurus and Christian. He says he's got a challenge for both of them, and he will tell them face-to-face -face on Rampage. John Moxley makes his way out to the ring along with William Regal, and Mox talks about first meeting William Regal and all of their history. He says that it reminds him of MJF and how they met in the ring over a year ago. Mox says he thinks uh, that uh, Max is a dog and pony show and that at full gear, everything that MJF has done up until this point has just been easy. Decent promo, but miles away from what MJF did. Moxley just kept talking about that Max isn't ready and MJF is not what he seems. And I understand that's what you're supposed to do is put down your opponent. But he almost came off like a cocky heel instead of a proud face. Just my opinion, though. Another vignette from the elite being erased from AEW is shown and all of their accomplishments through their careers. Uh, the background looks like it's a setup for a return at full gear. 
So I wonder what we're getting. There are reports that the return they'll be getting is just as big as the return as Bray Wyatt had a month ago. Um, But they're nothing like Bray Wyatt. I'm not understanding. Uh, Brian Danison cuts a promo about what happened with Daniel Garcia, and he says he's going to take all of that disrespect and put it on Sam Guevara's head when he kicks it off tonight. Jamie Hayter then takes on Sky Blue. Evenly contested match between these women, but Hayter had a little more with the experience. Blue tried her best and looked good, but Hayter wanted it more, going into full gear and her AEW women's title shot. Hayter hit her finisher and got the win in eight minutes and another good matchup. Brian Cage then cuts a promo on Dante Martin and their upcoming matchup. And then Alex Marvez is trying to look for Ricky Starks, but he's being murdered by Lance Archer. That's right. Lance Archer is destroying Ricky Starks and tells Alec Marvez that everyone dies. We haven't seen Lance Archer in forever, so this is weird. But apparently they're meeting in the whole number one contender eliminator tournament, uh, I guess. We go to our main event now, ladies and gentlemen. Huge main event. Brian Danielson, Sammy Guevara, best two out of three falls. What a main event tonight as both men pulled out all of the stops in this one. Guevara, when not talking on social media, is incredible in the ring, and it showed here tonight. Danielson continues to prove he has more in the tank and is an asset to AEW. They fought back and forth with Danielson grabbing the first fall, forcing Guevara to battle back and tie it up at the 15-minute mark. Sammy almost had it won, but Danielson kicked it into another gear, locked in his submission. When Guevara wouldn't tap out, Ryan readjusted and forced Guevara to pass out and get the win of the final fall at the 22-minute mark. Absolutely incredible between both men. Very enjoyable. AEW scores a 4.5 out of 5 this week. Just a little bit better than NXT. A couple of segments didn't need to happen, but the action in the ring, the in-ring promos, along with MJF, made this a great episode. So I do suggest if you haven't watched it, go ahead and get a chance watch it. And that is going to do it for us here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I do not have a Grinds My Gears, unfortunately, and I do not have a palate cleanser, but I do promise that next week I will do my best to have both. And we will be back with our normal, regularly scheduled programming, just like we were tonight, as well as I will be talking about NWA hard times in the highlight reel. I will look at the the pay-per-view and see if there's anything that stands out big time at that show. So, I want to thank you guys for joining me as usual. Make sure you check out all of the great shows here on WrestleNet Radio and continue to join us each and every week. I will see you next week once again on If You Smell What the Arch Is Cooking.